What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. episode today this is uh episode three of interview week on tuesday yeah. it was tucker davidson on wednesday it was darren Ravel. how was that that was hilarious uh, i i hope whoever is is uh listening to this right now like listen to the Ravel interview so that they can like understand where i'm coming from on this he was just legitimately as we're recording just digging into his bag of goodies and just pulling out fifty thousand dollar cards you could tell he just like loves the reaction too so like peter's getting all all amped up obviously i was i was very impressed and like amazed but peter is much more animated than i am right. yes. so he's loving peter's hand so he wouldn't stop so it was un- <laughs> it was unbelievable it was really funny uh it was cool and i mean look the guy knows a lot about a lot of things in sports business and in collectibles so it was cool to pick that guy's brain that's probably an episode best enjoyed via youtube yeah yeah i would say so i tried to like describe every item he was pulling out because yeah. he'd be like yeah just look at this and i'd be like <laughs> so that is <laughs> and then explain it all but uh, he's a character, man. That's for sure. Yeah. He's, he, he was uh, very kind, gave us a retweet, uh, gave us a follow right after. Oh, he's got 2 million followers on Twitter. I mean, he's built himself a nice little uh, following. He puts up dumb numbies, man. Uh, That's all that matters. It's all that really, you know, before you enter a room, all that precedes you is your amount of social media followers. And that's really all that matters. That's how I look at myself socially. So I'm in the dumps because I'm, <laughs> I think I'm sub like 2K or something. I'm just like, ah, uh, no, I'm a zero in the grand scheme. So uh, this is a great one, though. Howard Kelman is my broadcast partner with the Indianapolis Indians. He's on year 46 as the voice of the Indians. And this guy is uh, a, a broadcast legend in Indianapolis and in minor league baseball. How fun of a time was this 40 minutes that we just chopped it up with Howard? No, I'm excited. I, I, I want to, you know, on my bucket list now after that conversation we had, because it was, it was a podcast, right? But like, I want to sit down with Howard have like a, like a, a bourbon and just yeah. talk about baseball history because you know, we have we had to keep it kind of within the confines of, of a podcast conversation. He gave us a million tidbits and so much information, but like it made me just want more. Um, and so I hope the audience feels the same way. And I mean, this is a guy that it has really become one of the I was as I listened to games and I went back and listened more after he talked to us. Just such a good broadcaster, obviously. But the amazing thing is how he continues to find interest and and that burning desire to go to the field every day after 46 years in Indianapolis. Yeah. I mean, what's fascinating to me is how the recall stems from like different eras of baseball. So the recall is insane. And you're going to hear a lot about it in this interview. And, you know, we talk a little bit about what we do every fifth inning and I, I go to baseball reference and I pluck this date in major league history. And I will, I'll start in the forties or fifties and I will go through literally last year when Key Brian Hayes missed first base on that home run and was called out. And I mean, he is constantly ingesting baseball. We are recording this intro uh, at noon on Wednesday for a Thursday episode. The Pirates are about to play at 105. Guarantee you, Howard is watching this Pirates game or at least keeping consistent tabs on it and then going to the ballpark to call another game. Starting in 61 with Roger Maris's, you know, 61 homer season, this guy has not missed a beat when it comes to baseball through right now. And that's so apparent. I mean, we go from Maris to O'Neill Cruz and it is so much fun. (laughs) That's the craziest part to me is there's a moment when we're having the conversation. I'm like, we just within five minutes, this guy can can recall very in in detail specifics of of Roger Maris and then can also relate it to O'Neill Cruz. And it's just like, there's not that many people 
left on this earth that can do that. You know, I brought up my grandpa on, on the podcast because, you know, my grandpa doesn't quite have the, the, uh, I, w- I would generally use the word like freak recall, but I, that has a negative connotation. So when it comes to, to our just impressive, almost genius level recall, right. um, that, that is just unbelievable where you can ask any question at any time. But I love asking my grandpa about, you know, how does Juan Soto swing? Does it really remind you of, of Ted Williams? Because I feel like it's idiots like you and I throwing that comp out who never saw Ted Williams play. We saw right. grainy footage. My grandpa saw him in person. Those are the things that are really cool. And Howard provides that tenfold because his recall is so crazy. One crazy fact I want to bring up too: the average life expectancy in 1910 for a man was 48 years old. Um, Howard Kelman's basically lived an entire life in the booth of, of a person's average life expectancy in the early 1900s. That's, That's crazy. pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. just to show you how much time he has spent there, how much baseball he has watched. I mean, there's not very many people who are more experienced, who have seen more and, and just more knowledgeable about the game on this planet uh, yeah. than, than Howard Kalman. As crazy as that is to say. No, he took the Indians job in uh, when he was, what, 24, 25 years old in 1974. And aside from a couple of years where the Indians weren't broadcasting games, he has been the voice of the Indianapolis Indians since 1974. Before we do that, two quick things that I want to hit. The Houston Astros are a certified wagon. The series split with the Yankees. What Framber Valdez just did to the Mets lineup was criminal on Tuesday night. This pitching staff coupled with this offense, Jordan hit his 23rd homer of the year. I mean, dude, are they the second best team in baseball? That's what I asked you the other day. You know, I I literally like that. That's what we were saying, right? Like the other day, I literally was like, Jack, is this the second best team in baseball? What do you think now? I think yes. I think a resounding yes. And the crazy thing about Framber, man, is like he now seems like Mr. Innings Eater. This was a guy that was overlooked in international free agency didn't sign until he was 21 years old because of elbow issues so for the fact that the guy that had elbow concerns uh when he was an international free agent uh now is almost mr durability knock on wood but has has really just been able to to eat innings and part of that's pitching the contact but still to be that profile is so freaking awesome and really balances out that rotation they are just so uh fluid top to bottom of different kinds of guys and like we've said in the past, Lance McCullers is waiting in the wings. I don't even know if I want Lance McCullers to, to be starting every fifth day. Maybe, maybe Michael Kopech him. You know, I continue to love that role. I think that role is so important in baseball now that, you know, the number of pitchers that you can have on your active roster is somewhat limited. Uh, having that Swiss Army knife, I think, is huge. And maybe that's the best way to bring McCullers back. I would love to see him in, you know, two to, to three inning spots. He can throw that breaking ball a million times. He'd be incredibly effective. And if you need somebody to fill in in the rotation, maybe McCullers can. I know that's crazy to say that, but I mean, they even got a great start from Arkady recently. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens at the back of that rotation. Lance, three days ago, according to the Houston Chronicle, just threw his first live BP. So that means that he's very close to starting a rehab assignment. Um, so we'll see McCullers back right near the All-Star break, maybe right after the All-Star break. And I- I'm curious what the role looks like there too, but just last thing on Framber Valdez, I, I think he's still sporting a sub three ERA for the last three years. If I'm not mistaken, he has led starting pitchers in ground ball rate. He throws a bowling ball of a sinker. There's no better pitch in terms of inducing ground balls than Framber Valdez's sinker. It's better than Logan Webb. It's better than anybody else. Framber Valdez is the gold standard of ground ball pitchers. It's unbelievable. I, I saw his, uh, you know, when you look at fan graphs and, uh, a percentage like a ground ball rate or whatever will look way too high. And you're like, Oh, it must just be because it's only showing from a 10 game sample or something like yeah. that, or a five game sample. I thought that with Framber when I looked at his numbers last year and I was like, wait, maybe this is just like, you know, his playoff stats, or this is just something else. And his ground ball rate is so high that it almost looks like it's, it's a mistake. Like yeah. it looks like you're misreading it. Uh, it is insane how difficult it is to get the ball in the air against this guy in a game where we are seeing hitters, focused on getting the ball in the air which you have to especially with the shifts especially with the athleticism of defenders and uh with the defense that he has behind him it's a perfect recipe man i mean we know that the outfield is is really strong we know that jeremy pena is a gold glove caliber defender at short i haven't checked out tuve's defense recently in terms of the metrics but the guy's always been solid there and Bregman plays good third base i mean they have a wonderful situation every time framber's on the mound and it's a perfect fit for him and and they've got guys that can move in the outfield too kyle tucker is no liability out there 
yeah, Jose Siri can fly and, and we've seen what, you know, other dudes in center can do. And then you're done. You're done. You're obviously having him for the bat. And, and yeah. And worst case, Brantley's out there and he's good, you know, so it's, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. And they're all throwing a Martin Maldonado real quick. Will Brennan is a guy that Howard and I have seen. I saw you take to this Twitter sphere. You've been very impressed by Will Brennan. I have been singing this guy's praises to you for the last couple of years. I saw him in short season ball in 2019 when he was with Mahoning Valley. You know what? I think I've seen Will Brennan every stop that I've called baseball. You I think I saw him out on the talk to him? I don't think so. That's the funniest <laughs> part. I've been remote for the last with three. Yeah, years. true. Um, so Will Brennan, I think I saw him out on the Cape in 2018. If memory serves, he was in Falmouth. And then in 2019, I saw him with Mahoning Valley, which was the New York Penn League affiliate. In 2021, I saw him in high A with Lake County. And now this year I'm seeing him in triple A with Columbus. And this guy has done nothing but impress me in as large a sample size as I have on a player whose games I'm not calling every day. And I think everybody's starting to come around on Will Brennan. Okay, so all all of the things that that you just said just kind of got a thought in my mind because like Brennan is this like ball player, right? Like he has this well-roundedness to his game. I know that's why you loved him and like this is a perfect profile. <laughs> like this is exactly the Jack McMullen profile right here. Yeah. Uh, so when I did more diving into Brennan, I was not surprised at all why you like him so much. Yeah. Uh, but again, anybody, it's easy to like somebody hitting 353. He's now the leader in AAA and batting average, right? Yeah. I mean, he spent the the first month and a half, I want to say, in AA, but then he oh, got true. called So the up. 28 games, he technically wouldn't qualify. He's yet. not qualified yet. Alec Burleson is the leader and Jiwan Bay is second, if I do, if I do have that correct. So... You know what the crazy thing about about uh, Brennan, after I did a little bit more research, and I'm sure you probably know this because you, you study up on all these guys, but the fact that he was a pitcher in college too. It, you know, as Kansas State was a pitcher, a lefty guy that you know, might have thought that that was where he was going to get drafted potentially too. I think he threw in the Cape as well and or on the Cape as well. And that, that profile, speaking to Alec Burleson, who was a pitcher at East Carolina, I'm starting to like really follow these guys, these prospects who are, you know, two-way guys in high school or college, and then really focus on hitting afterwards, there seems to be a really good rate of success there. And, and I want to dive more into that and look more into that. I think athleticism is part of it. I think lower half mobility is part of it. I think being able to think like a pitcher is part of it. I think being able to add strength that you couldn't add when you were a pitcher is also part of it. And we're seeing that all of the above with Will Brennan. Uh, the Guardians, Jack, I, I want to kind of end on that. They have an embarrassment of riches. They are close to first place. It's right back and forth almost every day, every time you check in. And on top of that, they have decisions to make because rule five got delayed. The rule five drafts. So now you're going to have almost twice the amount of players. And whenever the next rule five draft is, and the guardians have about 15 guys, I think that are going to be eligible to be, you know, yeah. that, that need to be added to the 40 man. They need to make some trades. One, two, they just had an influx of capital. Thanks to uh, an investment, I forget who just bought in at a, at a minority stake. Yeah, that might allow them to, to take on a little bit more money. The Guardians should be busy. Uh, I'm not saying trade Will Brennan, but trade some guys because Will Brennan's just about big league ready, and they need to find space for him and a lot of other dudes. Yeah. So David Blitzer is the name of the guy, um, and Blitzer has ownership stakes, partial ownership stakes in a, a couple other teams. I know the New Jersey Devils, the 76ers. I want to say so he owns. 25% majority right now or 25% ownership. And then he's got the option after six years to become the majority owner of the Cleveland guardians. So there's this, they got money. some money, they got, they got money. money. Um, and good thing they paid J Ram before that, because he probably would have seen that and said, damn, you got more money now. Yeah. Give me more money. Let's Give me go. more. And, and now that, now I think, you know, knowing that you have J Ram at, at a discount, um, you got to feel pretty good about, what you can maybe add here and go get a free agent this year and, and go get somebody or make a trade for somebody. So I'm very excited to see what they do there. And the fact that they have the Will Brennans of the world, guys that are hitting, you know, 900 OPS between double and triple A, they've got several dudes that are performing like this, make a big deal, make a trade. So big question for you. And then we'll get to Howard is I'm look. I'm trying to think of the guardians outfield breaking camp next year. Because Valera is going to be up from double very soon, I think. Um, breaking camp next year, you're looking at a quartet of Miles Straw, Stephen Kwan, 
Will Brennan, George Valera, but then you also have Oscar Gonzalez out there. You've got Richie Palacios, although he's got some infield versatility here. Who are the three starting outfielders for Cleveland on opening day next year? So I don't know if Valera is going to be ready on opening day, but I think he can be the best of the bunch, right? So like, that's a guy that I, I am planning on. I don't care who's out there when he's ready, he's getting his spot in right field and he's, he's starting right there. I, I want to see a little bit more Will Brennan because I know we love Stephen Kwan for what he is, but Will Brennan, is he, you know, going to have a 95% zone contact rate? Probably not, yeah. but he'll be 86, 87 with more power uh, and a little bit more to his game. You know, I think you easily have to say that Miles Straw is out of the mix here. Yes. Um, I, I want to see some of these other minor league guys first. I think they have more upside than what we're seeing right now at the big league level. Will Benson has been playing actually pretty well in Columbus this year. And I don't know like what kind of big league piece Will Benson is, but he's been fine so far this he's year. He's got big pop too, but that's a trade chip potentially too. Real quick before we start, did I ever tell you my Will Benson story? No. This is a great one. So we played against the East Cobb Astros in, uh, in summer ball. Uh, Cobb is like the ringer of travel baseball in oh, the United States of America. This team, we were already intimidated. He didn't need to do this, but uh, they had Braxton Garrett. They had Will Banfield. They had Xavier Curry. Uh, yeah. They had Will Benson. They had a bunch of dudes. Um, and Benson was starting in the outfield that day or first base. I don't remember. And you know how like in travel ball, you warm up on, on each foul line. And yeah. then, you know, you go, you just play catch on each foul line and you go you never go to the other side. You don't, you don't do that. Right. Like the other teams on the other side, you don't go over there. Uh, Will Benson is long tossing. And you know, sometimes when guys long toss, they'll get a little bit closer to center and you'll get a little bit closer to the other team while you're both long tossing. You're kind of back to back there a little bit. Benson keeps going further and keeps going further and keeps going further. And I get to the point where he's walking like between our like warmups and going foul pole to foul pole with one of his teammates, like in right in front of us, just, just throwing foul pull to foul pull. And we're like, first of all, I was going to say like, who does this guy think he is? It was like a oh, first round pick. Uh, but I'm just watching this guy. I stopped warming up. I looked to my left and he's just going foul pull to foul pull. I don't know if that was part of his routine or if he wanted to intimidate us. I don't think they needed to. Uh, yeah. We hung in there. I think we lost four two. It was a Braxton Garrett start. Yeah. But I've never seen somebody use that intimidation tactic. Just foul pull to foul pull right in front of us. All that to say that dude is tooled out. He's got crazy power, crazy arm. If he can even hit a little bit, he'll be a stud. We'll see what happens there. Um, all right, real quick, quick follow-up. When do you move off a of mile straw? Because he just can't hit right now. When do you give Brennan an opportunity this year? Granted, it's a unique situation because they're trying to make the postseason. I think soon, man. I, I just, I look at this team. I think Brennan, you could speak better on the defense than me. Do you think it's Will good. Brennan could be? It, it's it's good. really good. Is it going to be as elite as Miles Strong? No. no, but I don't think the Guardians need that. I, they have good defense across the board. I, I think you could keep Miles Straw as a fourth outfielder, or you can package him in a deal. I, I think you got to look look soon because Brennan's going to give you so much more offense, and you know that Quan is elite uh, in the corner defensively. I, I would I would have done it yesterday, to be honest. There we go. All right. Without further ado, Howard Kalman. Howard Kalman is on year 46 as the voice of the Indianapolis Indians. And Mondays are supposed to be his day away from me. Um, he's supposed to get a break <laughs> from sitting next to me for three hours. But Howard, I dragged you into this. First of all, thank you for, uh, for putting up with me for about 45 more minutes on your day off. Well, I'm honored, Jack, to be with you in arm today. And I look forward to uh, speaking with both of you. I, I'm not taking a day off of you. I'm, I'm reading 61 Humorous and Inspiring Lessons I Learned from Baseball. This is your book. Uh, I just finished the Roger Maris lesson. That's number nine. And it's 61 lessons because of Maris is 61 homers in 1961, a former Indianapolis Indian. Um, just a quick background on you. When did you get started with the Indians? And uh, who are some of your favorite players that have come through? Well, my first year was 1974. While I was attending Brooklyn College, I was able to broadcast St. John's basketball games during my junior year. And then the fall of my senior year, fall of 73, I wrote to every minor league baseball team, and there were about 110 of them then. And of the 110 letters, I got about 25 responses. 
And I must admit, I was rather naive because I thought the reason I didn't hear from more people is that the letters were being lost in the mail. <laughs> I didn't realize a lot of people weren't courteous enough to respond. So anyway, uh, I had written to George Steinbrenner that spring. He had just bought the Yankees and he let me use vacant broadcast booths to practice my play-by-play. Of the 25 responses, there were three openings, Indianapolis, Spokane, and Albuquerque. And I sent each of them an inning of play-by-play from a Red Sox-Yankee game at Yankee Stadium. I remember it was a Thursday night. Thurman Munson knocked in a run. And those three people, two of them, Indianapolis and Spokane, had an interest in me, although I didn't know it immediately. And Albuquerque, it turns out, was looking for a sports director, so they did not. So uh, I got called by Spokane in January, went out there. They were on a holding pattern. Then I think it was February 14th or so, Max Schumacher called me and he said, we'd like you to come out here. I said, I'll be delighted to do that. My preference was to go to Indianapolis over Spokane and Max hired me. And so I, I went back at the end of the season to Brooklyn College and got the remaining 12 credits of, for my degree. And uh, as you mentioned, this is my 46th season and every day is still wonderful because I've always felt, yes, I'd like the team to win, but enjoying the journey is the biggest thing and having fun and enjoying it. And that's why you have people, you know, coaches who still are doing it. People say, why is Nick Saban's, Nick Saban still coaching? Why is Bill Belichick still coaching? They've proven everything. They, well, they love the journey. So the wins and losses are nice. It's nice to win. But the main thing is to have fun. And speaking of that, of winning, I thought yesterday, uh, Sunday, the yeah. Indianapolis Indians played a com- as complete a game as you can play. Terrific pitching, terrific hitting, and excellent defense. So you don't have too many of those. And that was after giving up two first inning runs. So... Uh, I've been there for a while now. Yeah, that's the one that I missed. How about that? You, you weren't there and they, they played a complete game, Jack? I, I wasn't there on Sunday. I was there on Saturday when they uh, lost by one. They blew a late lead. So oh. that's, that's my fault. Uh-oh. Uh, so but something that's fascinating to me because, you know, we, we love this. And, you know, I, I could imagine Jack has a blast. I, I know he has a blast every time he gets in the booth. But, you know, for, for, to do this for now on your 46th season, do you feel like every season is, is just a different journey? Uh, do you feel like every year is, is a different plot and a different ride that you're going to take? And is that what kind of keeps you in it for so long? Cause I think 40 plus years of anything, I think the first question is, you know, how did you do it? Do you just enjoy it that much? And you know, what do you, I guess, credit the ability to do it for that long uh, to? Well, I enjoy it a great deal. That's the most important thing. I think your question is good. Arm in that every year is different in that you have different ball players here. The yeah. turnover is big, so it is different. For instance, last year, we had a, a veteran team, and there weren't too many prospects, veteran AAA players. But this year, we've been loaded with prospects, so it, each year is different. But as far as doing the games, I take care of myself. Uh, I've always been health conscious. I think that's important. And I love every single day at the ballpark. One of the beauties of baseball is one day you'll see a two to one game and the next day you might see a nine to eight game. So uh, that is uh, paramount. And that's so important because you have diversity within a game and the game itself. And you have one sided games occasionally. That's when you get into more storytelling and you have close games where you let the game takes care of itself. Yeah, there are, you know, there are no six-year deals in minor league baseball. There are no 10-year deals that guys sign. So you mentioned it's a new clubhouse every single year. And I've seen firsthand you develop these relationships with all these guys that come through. And Kevin Newman, right? The, the thing on him is Seinfeld, Newman, all that. So you walk into the clubhouse, and instead of saying, hello, Newman, like everybody else, you say, hello, Kevin, and you get a smile out of him because you are not leaning into the Seinfeld bit like that. 
How important are those relationships for you with a guy like, you know, G1 Bay or O'Neill Cruz in 2022 versus a guy that was around in the 80s or 90s, you know, say Ken Griffey Sr.? Yeah, and he was around in the 70s, by the way, 70s. my first year. Yeah, those things are important. And by the way, we mentioned uh, Kevin Newman and Seinfeld. We had Kevin Newman at short and we had Kevin Kramer at second oh, a few gosh. years ago. So we had both Kramer and Newman. And, and when they were in double A in Altoona, there were a number of teams that had Seinfeld nights because of that when Altoona would come into town. So <laughs> it's about having fun and kidding around and things like that. Although I'm business, I'm there, I'm there when I'm, I've been described by people as businesslike. That's not to say you don't have fun and kid around, but when I go in the clubhouse, you know, uh, and that's one of the things I love about the job is gathering information from a manager or coaches and then using that information during a broadcast. I think that's one of the things that always has motivated me. And I think that's more important in baseball broadcasting than it is in the other sports because of the time to fill. I know when I'm watching a basketball or a football game and the announcer is talking over the play or listening to a game and is talking about something else, I don't particularly enjoy that because I'm watching the game or listening to the game. But in baseball, it's much different. As long as you pause and don't forget about the game, telling stories between pitches, between hitters, I think is what it's all about. And uh, my... Perhaps my favorite story of all time, it took place so long ago, but this is why I enjoy the preparation. And there have been others too, but this one I'll never forget. We were flying into Evansville at the end of the season. This is way back in 1977, so it was a long time ago. But we had a catcher named Don Werner. And I get out to the ballpark that day after the flight, and Donnie comes over to me and he says, you know, there was a guy on the plane who was sitting next to me, who said, I look just like Mickey Mantle. Well, Donnie got a big kick out of that. And, you know, he shared that with me, knowing that Mickey Mantle was my favorite player. So we get to the ballpark. I get up to the booth. I'm announcing the game. Donnie comes to bat the first few times up. I didn't say anything. But he came to bat in the eighth inning with the Indians down by a couple of runs. And I used the anecdote then. I said, Gentleman on the plane earlier today said Donnie looked just like Mickey Mantle. Speaking of Mantle and the great power that he had, 536 home runs, the Indians could use a little bit of power now. And boy, did I get lucky because on the next pitch, he hit a home run to tie up the game. There we go. So that to me, and there have been other examples, nothing that dramatic, but that to me is the essence of baseball broadcasting where preparation met opportunity. How much of it is is the excitement of not quite knowing who might be coming through? You talk about the top prospects, but there's so many guys that you know might not be the top prospect that end up being phenomenal baseball players. And uh, the, the excitement of just being able to say, I called games with this guy on the field. And I know you can say that about a litany of, of very, very, very good baseball players who had very good major league careers. But uh, every single year when you go back out there and get ready to call a season, I mean, you've probably had so many incredible players just play in front of you uh, for the games that you've called. Yes, you're exactly right. Uh, the first thing, when I got the job, and you guys mentioned Roger Maris earlier, one of the first things Max Schumacher told me, he knew I was a Yankee fan listening to my tape. And in those days, you called it a tape. Yeah. Now you say you're recording. But in any <laughs> event, one of the first things he told me is that Roger Maris had played for the Indianapolis Indians and led them to a championship. And that meant so much to me and still does to this day. And I was nine years old in 1961 when Roger hit 61. I remember that season like it was yesterday. The Yankees televised just about every game. And I was at many games too. And so that meant so much to me. But to your question, <coughs> excuse me, question and point. Yes, it does mean so much. And when you talk about Randy Johnson, he'll be the first guy I start with. One of the greatest pitchers of all time. Pitched here the entire 1988 season and wow. for three weeks in 1989. And on a Saturday afternoon in late May, we were in Rochester and he got the word that he had been traded 
to Seattle, along with a couple of other pitchers who are promising prospects to Gene, uh, Gene Harris and Brian Holman in exchange for Mark Langston. And the Expos were our parent team and Charles Bronfman, the Expos owner said, I want to win now because he was close to selling the team. So did we think Randy had a chance to be a terrific pitcher? Of course. But as you guys know, you know enough about baseball to realize there are a lot of guys with really good stuff who never harness their control. In fact, in this day and age, they're more than ever. Yeah. So uh, Randy and his teammate in 1989 was Larry Walker, who is a Hall of Famer too. So that's absolutely terrific. And, uh, you know, I really... There's other guys we can mention, too, guys who've done very well. And opposing players. Barry Larkin played against the Indianapolis Indians. So did Greg Maddox, pitched against us. Both in 1986, Larkin was playing for the Denver Zephyrs. And Greg Maddox, the pitching for the Iowa Cubs. So, yes, that's a great point. And that's something we take a lot of pride in. Not only do I do that, but the fans do that, too. The fans come out and they love to say, oh, we saw so-and-so play for the Indianapolis Indians. So they take a lot of pride in that, too. I, I, I'm sorry, Jack. One thing I have to say real quick is just hilarious. I would not have expected to hear Gene Harris on this podcast. He was my summer baseball coach in South Florida for, for four years. Uh, so I, that was one of my like fun facts that he was traded for Randy Johnson because I figured nobody would know that he was a great coach and, and helped me further my career big time. But so funny to hear Gene Harris had a couple of really good years as a reliever. Uh, but with that, I, sorry, I had to just drop that in there. Cause that was well, crazy. Howard, was I, I've heard you're an encyclopedia. Back. He also was a defensive back at Tulane. Yep. Great athlete. But I just had to mention that because Jack has talked about how you're an encyclopedia and, and how much of just a baseball historian you are, but I was not ready to hear uh, Eugene Harris, which is his full name on here uh, in today's episode. But anyway, Jack, go ahead with your point. No, it's amazing. And you know, a, I didn't think when I got to Syracuse for my freshman year of college that I would run into somebody that followed minor league baseball. I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm one of the weird ones here we are. And then I meet Aram and Aram is as big of a prospect guy as I am. So we love minor league baseball. And I think one of the things that we really love about minor league baseball is the ability to see tangible corrections with your very eyes on a year to year basis. And I'm sure you see that. And I don't want to totally take um, one of the first couple chapters of this book, and we'll put the link to purchase uh, in the episode description here. But again, your book, you mentioned a tangible correction that you saw Andrew McCutcheon make from one year to the next with the Indianapolis Indians. So how often do you see these legitimate corrections made by guys that go on to use that correction for the entirety of their amazing careers? Among good players, it does happen at times. And these were, that was a dramatic correction with McCutcheon, who was not keeping his front shoulder in and pulling off a bit instead of trusting his hands. Reggie Jackson, I heard talk about this. Reggie said, I tried, and he was a left-hand hitter, I thought about hitting a line drive over the shortstop's head. And that's what McCutcheon had to do. He was a right-hand hitter, the second baseman's head. And if they hang a pitch, you'll pull it. But if you're trying to pull and trying to pull, you're going to pull the ball foul and you're not going to hit the pitch away at all. You just roll over. So an example, here was an example we had of a guy who played in the major leagues a number of years, Bill Hall. Cecil Cooper was our manager in 2003 and four. And Cecil was a great hitting guy. He was a five-time all-star, great teacher of hitting, in addition to being a terrific hitter for Milwaukee in the big leagues. But Bill Hall in 2002 was constantly chasing breaking pitches that were outside, constantly. And you would think you could make that kind of adjustment, but he was unable to do it. Well, Cecil worked a great deal with him in 2003 when Cecil became the manager and Bill Hall made the correction. He went on and played a number of years in the major leagues. And Cecil said it was one of the most gratifying things he'd ever done. With just being involved with the team and, and you know, I, I, Jack has talked about the, the connections you want to make and the relationships you want to build. And it also helps you in the booth, of course, just knowing, you know, how these guys tick and, and what they're dealing with. 
how much has that just been a cool opportunity for you through the years to, to get to know guys that uh, kind of are on the path, like you said, like a McCutcheon and making those adjustments. And uh, are there any other examples of guys you've seen make those big adjustments and maybe having a conversation where you're like, Oh, this guy's on, on the precipice of something big and then end up seeing it happen. Like you saw with, with Kutch. Well, Randy Johnson, to some extent, made some adjustments. Yeah. Now, not all of them were done here, but he made them with his control. And when he got to the big leagues, he was having some success, but he was not a great pitcher his first several years. And then he had a conversation with Nolan Ryan. And Nolan said to him, you're landing on the heel of your foot in your delivery. If you land on the ball of your foot, that will help your control. And it's not good to walk people. And Nolan led the league in walks eight times. So Randy took notice. <laughs> and so Randy Johnson made that adjustment. And then he became a fabulous pitcher, a Hall of Famer. So those are things that are, are really nice when someone makes that adjustment. Here's an example. And I have a chapter in the book about that. This was not involving the Indianapolis Indians. But sometimes it's more than an adjustment. It's the mental approach, too. Paul Molitor was a good player for the Milwaukee Brewers. Tony Muser became the hitting coach. And Tony shared the story with me, and Paul confirmed it when I met him a few years later. And Tony said to me, you know, I worked with Paul Molitor. He had a T-shirt of Paul Molitor's 39-game hitting streak he used to wear. So when Tony became the Brewers hitting coach, he said to Paul, how are you doing? And Paul said, oh, I'm doing great, making a really good living. And Tony said, you could do better. Paul said, what do you mean? He said, you're not challenging yourself. You're not getting out of your comfort zone. You're not pushing yourself. So this was an example, not of a mechanical adjustment. And Paul thought about what Tony said and realized how right he was. And the result, Paul Molitor went from a good player to a great player he embarked on a 39-game hitting streak and became a Hall of Fame player. So it's not only the adjustments, although they're important, it's the mental approach too, which means everything in this game. It, it takes good teaching and it takes good leadership sometimes to unlock that. And I know that those are two things that you love and you, and you speak about often because when you're not calling Indians games, um, you're giving speeches to companies, whether they're in the Indianapolis area or around the country. I know you travel a bit to, to give speeches. How much of leadership plays into your speeches and what you want to deliver um, to certain companies that'll bring you in to speak? A boss has the title. A leader has the people. <laughs> there so, we go. Uh, that example, that, thank you for bringing that up, Jack. That example yeah. with Tony Muser was great leadership, speaking to Paul Molitor and encouraging him. Uh, you have, when it comes to leadership, you have praise, you have encouragement, and you have criticism. And all three are different, and all three are very important. Now, uh, I'll tell you a story. This goes way back, but some well-known names. Uh, there's a guy named Jerry Harkness who was well-known in Indiana because he was a sportscaster here. He played for the Pacers. Anyway, he was a young man growing up in the Bronx and was too shy to try out for his high school team. And one day he was shooting baskets at the Y and a fellow walked up behind him and said, hey, young fellow, you can really play. And Jerry turned and said, wow, it's Jackie Robinson. The man who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, a Hall of Fame Dodger player, he thinks I can play. So Jerry tried out for his team, made the team, led them, then went to Loyola of Chicago on a scholarship, led them to a national championship, and then played briefly with the Knicks and then the Pacers. In fact, he had the longest shot in the history of professional basketball. There's no video of it, but there are stories. It was in Texas, if you Google it. There are stories about it. And then after his playing days, he settled in Indianapolis, was a sportscaster at Channel 13, worked for United Way, had his own business. And maybe none of that ever would have happened had it not been for those words from Jackie Robinson. So encouragement is oxygen to the soul. And that's one of the tenets of great leadership. 
That's awesome. Encouragement is oxygen to the soul. That, that, so if you were wondering how Howard's speeches go, there's a little taste. Uh, he can do some good stuff there. I got to tune in now uh, to the next one because those are some really good tidbits. I wanted to write it down, but I was like, I'm not going to be able to write it down. Time, but we're recording this thing. We're recording. We're recording. So we're golden. Uh, we'll definitely be taking some of those tidbits because that's some great stuff. But how much have you learned from just being around so many guys in such pivotal parts of their career. I think of like the Brian Bullingtons of the world who, you know, is supposed to be the next big thing and it doesn't work out for him. But then you, you see some of the underrated stories and guys that have figured it out, the, the mental anguish that comes with not panning out the excitement that comes with figuring it out when no one expected you to, and just the life circumstances that all of these guys are going through because you have a collection of different humans on different journeys every single year. How much did you just learn from, from witnessing that and are there any specific stories you can pull from that was a really big learning experience for Howard Kelman on, on behalf of you know maybe somebody else's experience that you witnessed? Well, I've learned a lot over the years, and Gary Green, for instance, is one of our coaches this year. And Gary and I have been friends since he played here in 1993. I've learned a great deal from him, and that's a wonderful thing when you learn from these guys. Now, obviously, I had knowledge coming in, but you learn so much. One of the things that I learned when I was fairly young in the game, and I thought I got a great baseball education from the Yankee announcers, Mel Allen and Phil Rizzuto, and also from the Met announcers. I've watched the Mets, too, Ralph Kiner, Bob Murphy, Lindsey Nelson. But one thing they never talked about is how much pitchers despise pitching with the bases loaded. And that's one of the things when I started to hang around pitchers and players, when I got the job here, it's one of the first things I learned. And the greatest time to hit is with the bases loaded because the pitcher has to make a good pitch, throw a pitch over the plate. Now, it's all about how your attitude is. If you as a hitter feel pressure with the bases loaded, that's not good because the pressure is on the pitcher. And that should be your mindset. So that's one of the things that I learned. Another was this, and this was a long time ago, but, uh, you know, uh, Jack mentioned the book and you mentioned the book arm and I have a chapter in the book on this. When I was young, starting out, Ronnie Oster also was young. And by the way, he's my favorite all time player in Indianapolis because he played shortstop here for three years and a shortstop holds the ball club together. And he was phenomenal, but Ronnie Oster's from Cincinnati. And like so many kids from Cincinnati who grew up, Pete Rose was the hero. And, you know, Pete Rose was incredible. And he was known as Charlie Hustle. And so Ronnie Oster, being a fan of Pete Rose, was always talking about giving 120%. I want to give 120%. So one day, Ronnie Oster, Ted Klazuski, who was the Reds hitting coordinator, and I were talking. And Ted was a, a star, by the way. In fact, he hit 49 home runs in 1954 and only struck out 35 times. But anyway, this was Ted as a mentor. And I learned so much from Ted, too. But Ted said to both of us, we're looking, you know, the, these guys say, I want to give 120%, 120%. And he was directing it at Oster, who used to talk that way. And Ronnie said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted Klazuski said, I don't want you at 120%. I don't want you at 110%. I don't want you at 100%. I want you at about 95 to 97%. And Ronnie Oster and I are looking at each other. Well, what's with this guy? And Ted Klazuski said, because if you're at 95 to 97%, you're not trying too hard. You're not tensing up. You're not putting extra pressure on yourself. And that's one of the biggest reasons that baseball is different from football because you've never heard a coach say to a player, you know, when you block that guy and knocked him down, you didn't have to hit him that hard. You never would hear that. But the biggest mistake I've since learned, obviously, in baseball is trying too hard, tensing up, putting too much pressure over swinging and for a pitcher, not trusting his stuff for a hitter, not trusting his hands and a pitcher overthrowing a hitter over swinging. 
What, one of my favorite parts of calling a game with Howard Aram, and I'm sure you've heard it a couple of times when you've tuned in, is every fifth inning we do this date in Indians history and this date in Major League Baseball history. And what I love about that is, you know, I'll go on baseball reference and I'll pluck seven or eight. And, you know, I'll see some names that obviously I've heard of, right? And maybe I've even checked out their baseball reference or read their Saber bio, um, you know, just tried to get a little bit of background. But I could throw, I feel like, any name at Howard and he's got an anecdote for me. And Howard, I've told you this, I am amazed by your recall. And, and I'm curious, like, is there any rhyme or reason to, to the astounding recall that you have? Have you ever thought about that? Or is it just, you love this game, you love the stories you hear about this game, you ingest it and you keep it there? No, I think that uh, it's genetic. Uh, and then again, too, when you're younger, what else do you have on your mind? What else right. do we have on our mind? We go to the ball game. We talk about the game on the subway. We go to the schoolyard. We play ball. We talk about the game. But I think a big part of it is genetic, that I'm fortunate. I take care of myself, too. I think that might help a little bit, too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I've gotten some funny comments about that. Here's an interesting story. Uh, we were at a function. In fact, it was when I was inducted into the Indiana Broadcast Pioneers Hall of Fame. My sister came in from New York. And so we were talking and they were talking about my great memory. And I said, here's my sister. She took her very first steps on Sunday morning, October 1st, 1961. She walked for the very first time and they were saying, wow, isn't that amazing how neat he remembers his sister walking for the first time. And then my wife, Robin, said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The only reason he probably remembers that is because Mickey Mantle must yeah. have hit a home run that day. And I said, Robin, Robin, please, how could you say something like that? It was Roger Maris, not Mickey Mantle, <laughs> with his 61st home run that day. So uh, <laughs> that's part of my memory. It's funny. I, I can definitely relate to using baseball timelines to refer back to like, personal life timeline. So that's, that's absolutely awesome. And, and I hope to have that same or even something close to the level of recall you have uh, once I'm hopefully in the game for 40 plus years, but uh, I want to test that recall real quick. Cause you talk about not, not going all the way out and trying to sell out all the time. And we see that in the game a little bit today, but I think the 95 to 97% thing is a really important point that could be hammered home on a lot of players today. That being said, I've heard legends uh, from, from my father. Uh, my father used to tell me stories about Andre Galarraga and some of the home runs he used to hit. Um, and talking to Jeff Conine, our advisor, he would tell us stories about Galarraga's home runs. Did you see any of his insane monumental home runs in AAA uh, when, when you were uh, calling games during his stint? Andres Galarraga was our team MVP in 1985 he had a terrific season yes he had some long home runs and one of the things I remember was a day in Buffalo and Andres was a right-hand batter and he was known as the big cat anyway he was swinging the bat so well and was so dangerous that they walked him intentionally with nobody on base and that was really something and I said to Andres I said Andres how did you feel when they walked you intentionally with nobody on base? And he felt, I felt, he said, I felt strong. I felt strong. So yes, he was a, a terrific hitter and played a long time in the big leagues too and had a lot of success. Uh, I've got two more for you, Howard. One baseball related, one non-baseball related. I'll give you the baseball related one first. Um, I know, and you and I have talked about it. The game has changed in a lot of ways over the course of your career, even over the course of the last decade, right? Some things we like, some things we really don't like. Um, but, you know, we've gone from you know, seeing guys like, I don't know. I mean, I grew up watching David Eckstein appear in the World Series to you and I calling O'Neill Cruz moments for the first two and a half months of this season. How has your appreciation of baseball and, and the players that play this game changed over the course of your career and even over the last 10, 15 years? I think one of the real positive things is, and not only here, but you see it in the major league too, is these guys are in great condition. Yeah. And I think they make plays defensively that guys didn't make years ago. You know, it was said of Joe DiMaggio, one of the great compliments is he never left his feet. And that was a compliment. <laughs> so uh, I think that's the way the game has changed for the positive, all the terrific defensive plays that you see. 
Um, so that that's made an impression. Watching O'Neill Cruz, I know even though he didn't play great here, uh, still every time he was at bat, I took notice. Even when you were calling the play-by-play, because his at bats could be must-see TV or radio or brought. So anyway, uh, the way it's changed in recent years, obviously the preponderance of walks and strikeout is not strikeouts is not good for the game. Uh, also, players are not as fundamentally sound as they used to be. The most important thing in a player when he's playing a game is what's the score, what's the situation. And they don't think that way now, the way they used to. And that is because I think players grow up taking hitting lessons. Players grow up trying to throw as hard as they can and are not playing as many games throughout the day not running the bases the way they did years ago when they were young. So I think that has an impact. But it used to be to get to the big leagues, you knew how to play the game. You had to know how. But now if you put up some numbers, you'll probably get that opportunity. So uh, when you see a player who's fundamentally sound, you really appreciate it. And, you know, not making the first or third out at third base, not being thrown out at home with less than two outs, little things like that. And that can really mean the difference between winning games and not winning games. We've seen the Pirates a little bit more, uh, at least on the stolen base and base running side of things, a little bit more of an emphasis there organizationally. And uh, I know Mike Roberts was brought in to, to do a little bit of that. And Mike Roberts, uh, you know, longtime Cape Cod League manager, of course, uh, you know, was was the coach at UNC and has been involved in major league baseball in a bunch of different ways. And I got to, to really appreciate him and, and his recall in a similar way uh, when I was in the Cape broadcasting out there. And I feel like baseball in some regards is cyclical in that way, right? Where the pirates identify on Mike Roberts to say, this is someone that can help us in our organization to, to run the bases better. Something that a lot of people say, you know, is, is obsolete in a way may not be if you do it the right way. Do you feel like baseball? And I feel like since you've been, in the game for so long, do you feel like it could be cyclical when we get back to certain ways? Strikeout rates are down a percentage this year. Could we see more of those contact-oriented guys and base runners and fundamentally sound guys make their way through? What's your thoughts after seeing the game go through several cycles in your career? I would love to see that because I think the game needs action. Balls put in play. The pitch clock is a wonderful thing. Love it. But the yes. more balls that are put in play, triple is – a triple is terrific because it employs both power and speed. So triples are great. Uh, as far as the base running is concerned, when you watch games growing up, when you watch them growing up and you study the game, you learn from the announcers, from the writers about the first or third out of third base, things like that. Uh, and it's different now. Uh, Kimera Barti, who was a coach with us who tragically passed away, not too long ago, but Kimara said to me years ago, everybody was raised by the game. Now they're taught by the game once they get into pro ball. But some of those habits when they're 17, 18, 21 years old are already established and tough to break. Your mindset should be on the basis. Okay, here's the score. Here's the situation. And then you make a decision. Yeah. You'd like to be aggressive but you want to be intelligent. Now, unfortunately, some mindsets are this. I think I can make it. I think I can go to third here. I think I can score without talking about the specific situation, risk versus reward. For instance, in the ninth inning, when you're down by several runs, you never should take the slightest risk on the bases because you don't need to get a run closer. You need to get that tying run on base or at the plate. So there's no sense taking a risk then. That's one of the precepts, but there are others too. As I said, the first or third out at third base, uh, less than two outs at home. But I would like to see that come back and I would like to see the guys, they're certainly fast. And you're right, the stolen base is coming back to some extent now. And I think that's great. And the, not only the Indians are stealing some bases, but other teams are too. And uh, the team we just played, Memphis, those guys are stealing a lot of bases too. 
Yeah, 100%. Howard, last one from me. Um, you know, several accolades have come to you over the years. A tw- 2009 inductee uh, into the Indiana Sportscasters and Sports Writers Hall of Fame. You were a 2015 inductee into the uh, Indiana Broadcast Pioneers Hall of Fame. And then in 2018, you were inducted into the Indiana Baseball Hall of Fame. But Friday is Howard Kelman Day in the city of Indianapolis. How do we celebrate? Do I bring you a cake in the booth? Are you going to get a what is... I guess what went I think you might have to shave your head, Jack. (laughs) I'll just wear a hat. I'll I'll get one of those. Come back with one of my old hair pieces. Perfect. uh, That'd be great. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah. How awesome was that day when you were when you were told that July 1st in the city of Indianapolis is Howard Kelman Day? Well, thank you. Before I get to that, you mentioned the three halls of fame. And I have to tell you, each one of them lowered its standards. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. that was in 2017 yeah. when Mayor Hogsett made it. On June 30th, I called my 6,000th game. So I guess with nothing else going on for July 1st, they made it a day in my honor. You know, I can quote, there was a great restaurant tour touch shore in New York a long time ago. And that's where all the ball players hung out and the celebrities hung out. And he was named man of the year. And he proves one thing. This has been a lousy year for me to be named man of the year. So I guess nothing was going on that day for it to be my day. But it was a wonderful honor. And uh, it's very thoughtful of you to bring it up, in fact. Yeah, of course. So the answer on how you should celebrate it, I I really think is you got to shave that thing, Jack. I'm in. No, don't. I'm just kidding. I don't want you to do that, Jack, because Isabel might never talk to me again if you do that. That is true. That Man. is true. Well, Howard, listen, it is, uh, it's a pleasure sharing the booth with you all the time. It, it's a pleasure uh, sharing the off day with you this go around. And, and thank you so much for taking uh, 40 minutes out of your Monday to talk to Aram and I. Well, Jack, I thank you. I thank Aram. It's very nice of you to have me on. And I also will say what a great job you are doing in the Indianapolis Indians broadcast booth. Thank you so much. I'll give you a $20 bill uh, next time I see you. Thank you. I'd rather have a 50. (laughs) Again, so, so much fun, ridiculous amount of fun. And I get to sit next to him for, you know, three hours a night, every night and two hours before that filling out my book, just talking about other stuff and getting the unfiltered Howard Kelman on what's going on in, in major league baseball, what's going on with the Indianapolis Indians. And uh, it's a treat, man. It's a total treat. Were you ever uh, nervous in the early going? Like, I don't want to mess anything yes. up. I have this, oh my God. This yes. 46 year vet next to me. And uh, I'm, you know, on my, I mean, you've been, you've been broadcasting relatively speaking for a long time, but you're beyond and like, you're an infant of infants uh, when it, when it compares to him, like, were you, were you nervous in the early going? Yeah. So I've been calling baseball since 2018. So I'm a seasoned vet and he has yeah. been the voice of the Indians since 1974. So Crack. he's uh he's kind of the green one in here. Um, yeah. No, I mean like, so my big thing was when I walked in, I wanted to not throw him off. I, I wanted to, you know, stay out of his way, let him do exactly, you know, what he wanted to do, because obviously you have it down to a science. If you're doing it for 46 years, you know exactly what you want to do at, at certain points. And my thing was stay out of the way, just do my job and, you know, try and, you know, try and elevate the conversation, try and enhance the conversation any way I can, and maybe offer some, you know, newer school thought, just being this 24 year old in the booth. But um, I, I think what has been so awesome is like, he was so welcoming right away and he doesn't look down on my baseball knowledge just because I haven't been around the game as long, which is always a classic funny one from, from some people. You wouldn't get it. Uh, Like, well, sorry. Do you want me to to exist earlier? Right. Like, yeah, I, I can't control being born in 1998, but what I, what I love about working with Howard is like, he doesn't care when I was born. I could have been born in 2005 and if, you know, if, if I studied baseball the way that I know I have, uh, and I bring things that I think are sound opinions to the, to the table, he's going to listen to them. And uh, if he doesn't agree, he'll tell me. If he does agree, he'll tell me. And I, I, I couldn't be more thankful for that because so many times you hear, oh, you don't know anything. And we're turned away because we're just the young person. We don't know enough yet. Yeah. He thinks that I know enough, which is awesome. 
That is awesome. And it, it makes for a great booth. And that's why I enjoy tuning in. Um, and for anybody who has MILB TV, tune into those Indianapolis Indian games. I know we can't sell O'Neill Cruz anymore. We as, can sell as, G1 Bay. We can sell G1 Bay, who's got one of the best contact rates in the minor leagues this year. Incredible. Could be the next guy to get called up soon. For a Pirates team that is suddenly becoming more and more entertaining. Yeah. So uh, I find it really interesting. And like, you can pull up the notes app and you can try and fill out position by position. Who's playing where at the start of the 2024 season. And uh, you run out of guys. I think um, you've got a lot of really good trade chips here. You've got a lot of rule five eligible people. Again, Cal Mitchell was not protected. He was not on the 40 man, but he came out. Yeah. He was like, sort of kind of pissed off. But for the most part was like, I control what I can control. I wasn't added, so I'm going to rake. He hit 310, and he got called up for a couple of months. It's yeah. great. It's awesome. So, I love it, man. Um, yeah, exciting team, and uh, it's it's fun to be calling them as they're on the doorstep of uh, PNC Park. So uh, follow us on all those social medias, obviously, with that, and uh, mailbag tomorrow. It's a, that'll be a fun one. Triple that mailbag. That will be a fun one. Peter's traveling, but we got to figure out a, a good time to get with him on the mailbag. Yeah, he's flying back to, to California. So, um, Cali boy. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, we're all looking for, and he's got to look for an apartment too. And New York rent is going up. Oh. Uh, so we are, we are struggling a little bit to find a place, but uh, I think, I think we'll all work it out. But uh, yeah. Yeah, you guys should come out to Indy. We can share McAfee's spot. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do you mind if I just move in right there? Like, I won't take up much space. I see the little air conditioner right there. Like, yeah, we can move room. that. Um, we can put an air mattress like right here, right behind the... Uh... They say Indy is like the New York City of the Midwest. No, they don't. See you guys. <laughs>